Welcome to the Holistic Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Keisha Blair, wife, mother of three, author of Holistic Wealth, and founder of the Institute on Holistic Wealth. The show will showcase various experts in the key pillars of holistic wealth. Each week, we deliver the best information on how to become holistically wealthy and live your best life. Today, I have a special guest with me. It's Rian Bopian, and she is the managing editor of Farming Street and as well the author of the great mental model series, an actual Wall Street bestseller. I'm so excited to have you here, Rian, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. As I said, I'm super excited to be here. I'm so excited for you to be here too because I admire the work that you and your team do so much. You produce some amazing content. The books are amazing. Can you walk us through your journey of how you transitioned to doing the work you're doing now and just the, the explosive growth that Farnham Street has had and how that happened? Sure. To answer the first question, the journey was not an obvious one. So the founder of Farnham Street is Shane Parrish. And Shane and I have known each other now for a long time. And we actually used to work together in the Canadian government. We both worked in the security and intelligence field. And that's where we got to know each other. And separately, I've been writing, I mean, probably I think since I was like six or something, you know, it's just something I've always done. And right when I was ready to make a change away from the government, it was right when Shane was really trying to grow Farnham Street. And so it was really good timing for both of us. And I came on and originally I was really focused on writing articles. And then shortly after I joined, we decided to do the Great Mental Model series and thought that that would be a really amazing product for our followers. And so that's kind of how I got into that journey of writing. And then the managing editor thing came in when we finished working on the manuscript for the first volume. And then it was like, now what? And in my mind, as like a writer, I was done. I finished the manuscript. And it's like, well, we're a team of three. So guess what? You're going to do everything else that needs to be done with this book to get it out there. And Shane had found a really fantastic content designer, Morgan, and she put us in touch with just a fantastic book designer. And, you know, but it was a learning process. I mean, the, the process on the first book was sometimes we talk about it like it was, you know, swallowing glass. Like we just, every move we made, we had no idea what we were doing. And it was such a huge learning curve um, going through the design process, learning about images, the editing process, proofreading, and then printing, shipping the books and selling the books and physical books. I mean, you know, it's so easy to get an ebook out there. <laughs> It's so hard to get a physical book out there when you're self-publishing. So that has just been the most amazing learning curve. And then in terms of Farnham Street itself, yeah, I mean, it is growing and it's growing in a way that I think sometimes surprises us as in we're always really conscientious of crafting content and putting out products that we can stand behind and that we think will be really useful to our followers. Sometimes it's really awesome when you're pleasantly surprised by how many people that that resonates with. And I look forward to the newsletter on a Sunday morning, Brain Food. Like I, I actually get up in bed and I'm like, oh, here's my, news, my newsletter. So I, <laughs> it's amazing. It's one of the best out there for sure. One of the best newsletters. And I just wanted Thank to, you. yeah, I just wanted to go back to 
you know, your observations about the self-publishing process, because so many people out there grapple with this decision. Should I traditionally publish or should I self-publish? And if I self-publish, do I really stand a chance? But I feel like with Farnham Street, with the Mental Model series, that you guys produced something that probably exceeded a lot of traditionally published books in terms of the standard, in terms of the way, the, the success of it all. And I just wanted to get your observations there for people who are listening in and are right now in the midst of that struggle right. because you've had so much success with that, with that book series. Any lessons there or any advice to give to people who are wondering, can I, can I really pull this off? if I self-publish. Yeah, it's tough because I don't have any experience with traditional publishing. So I couldn't say to people, well, this is how you know when you should self-publish. I can say that there are some really amazing things about the self-publishing process now because of the technology and tools available to everybody. One of the reasons we chose self-publishing is because we wanted to do our books exactly how we wanted them to be, if that makes any sense. Like we wanted to have a lot of pictures and full color, full page pictures. We wanted to use a cloth cover. Our books are designed beautifully and they're not cheap to produce, <laughs> but we didn't care. And that's the thing. And we were in a really amazing position of being able to say, listen, we're going to design these books and get these books out there exactly how our vision dictates. And if we break even great, because we had a huge platform, right? And I mean, that's the thing about Farnham Street. Shane started growing it long before I joined. You know, he's done an amazing job growing a platform that people tune into and that people trust. And I think that's what made it, I guess, easier for us with self-publishing is we were publishing on a platform that already had a lot of trust in it. So I can say that if somebody is considering self-publishing, that's the bigger picture they absolutely have to consider. The more I do it, the more I'm learning is that you have to build the whole platform and you have to build a brand. It's not about selling a book. It's about building a platform that people trust in the niche that you're in and that they will go to you to engage with you. And that when you put out a book, that's just another way that they can engage with you. Self-publishing, I don't think would work for somebody who doesn't have the time to invest in building the whole platform. But other than that, like it's, I, I shouldn't put it down by saying it was like, you know, chewing on broken glass, but, but basically it was a strong learning curve, but it was so rewarding at the same time because, you know, we got to work directly with the designers. We got to pick the images. We got to work with the illustrator and have conversations about, Hey, this is our vision. This is what we want. We just had so much control over the final product that we were able to just get super excited about it because we were really able to articulate exactly what we wanted and we didn't have to compromise a lot. We had to compromise some when we hit upon like industry standards or something that we had no idea existed. And then we were told, well, actually that you cannot do. It's like, oh, okay. But for the most part, we were really able to, you know, to have a lot of fun putting together something that was really unique and that we were really excited to stand behind. So. So I've been really impressed with how you guys have grown the platform and you've used it to really get that deep connection with your members. I know 
we both have this passion for writing. When you said that you started writing when you were six years old, I that just took me back to my childhood because that's exactly how I started. And I started <laughs> writing poetry and everything. You know, I, I got these books of poetry and as life kind of took its course, you know, I, I forgot about that love until right. tragedy struck. Yeah. And then that's when I found it again and I went back to my first love. And I want to talk to you about your process because you recently released a novel, which is so different from nonfiction. Yeah. <laughs> and I am eager. I've been so eager to hear about that switch and how that came about. And I know it's based on your experience, which is amazing. But I know for us nonfiction authors, it's sometimes not easy to make that switch. So I want to hear about that. <laughs> And of course, any lessons you can pass on would be great. Yeah, for sure. Writing is just I like you, like it's just something I've gone to. Like when I'm going through periods of craziness or stress or confusion, like writing it out is such a, a way that I process things. But actually, my interest in fiction started first. And so the novel that has just come out, Alone Among Spies, is not my first one that I wrote. It's just all the ones that came before I didn't think were any good. <laughs> Um, but I was like with fiction, it's like, I think what it is for me is it's like how I can go back and forth between writing fiction and writing nonfiction is it's like, what are my drivers, right? So when I sit down at a page for fiction, my drivers are, okay, like what kind of book would I want to read? What kind of story would I get engaged with? How can I bring that to life for people and make it authentic? And then with fiction, it's like, well, okay, let's talk about specifically the Great Mental Model series. It's okay. What can I share with people that would be useful for them? You know, I want them to pick up this book and walk away from it and say, that was time well spent. So what do I need to put on these pages? What do we need to consider to make sure that our readers feel that it's time well spent? So to me, switching between the two is checking in with my motivation when I sit down at that screen. And I think that that's really important. I also like to write both because I am perpetually terrified of getting stale as a writer. And I don't want to become stale. I always want to be engaged with what I'm writing. And so switching up what I'm writing makes a big difference. And even at Farnham Street, I also write a lot of the articles that we post on the website. So even just switching back between articles and a book is a really great exercise in changing up my thinking and changing up how my brain is operating and engaging with those words. Yeah, no, for sure. And that's so true. And I'm thinking about storytelling as you're speaking, because so much of fiction writing is about storytelling and it's so much more vibrant and colorful in terms of the writing mm -hmm. and character development. Did you at all find it challenging in any way when you just started the novel in terms of those things, you know, developing your scenes as opposed to like, for instance, as you mentioned, writing articles for the blog and the nonfiction series, did you find that to be just kind of like switching into a different mode for that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it is. And there is definitely moments where I pause and I'm like, okay, what exactly am I doing here? Writing fiction is, it's a ride. I mean, I really, there's parts of it I really, really enjoy because I feel like I get to be in a story that I get to direct, like I'm the director. So if I like somebody, they get more FaceTime. If I don't like them, I can write them out of the, the story. You know, like I, I love having that kind of control. And another thing I really enjoy about fiction is I like being surprised. And 
sometimes like I'll be like when I was writing Alone Among Spies, there there were, you know, early decisions that I made that I had to go back and revisit because they just didn't work for the plot. And then, you know, and so sometimes that happens. Sometimes like you're, wait a sec, like this doesn't really make any sense. Or you create a character and you're like, meh, this person doesn't really interest me. I don't think they have much to offer. And then other times it goes the opposite. So like one of the characters in that book is a guy who works for the CIA. And originally he was going to have a smaller part because he was just there for plot reasons at the beginning. But when I wrote him, I was like, you know what? Like, he's really interesting to write. And then when I put him in conversation with my lead character, they had some really good interactions and they surprised me. I mean, and I know that sounds weird because it's all coming from my brain, but they surprised me. And I ended up giving him a much bigger part. And I ended up using him a lot more in the story because I just genuinely liked writing him. I liked writing his character. He was a lot of fun for me. And it was really funny, actually, when I was working on that, you know, at one point, my husband laughed because he was like, you know, I have such a weird life. I have to deal with a wife who has a crush on one of her own characters. (laughs) You know, I'm just like, I really like this character. He's so great. You know, (laughs) that's what I love about fiction is that it can surprise you in that way because you're creating people from scratch. And then as you get to know them and they become really complex and really fleshed out characters, you're like, hey, like these are interesting people. Not all of them, but, you know, some of the ones that you write. And I think that like with fiction, I mean, I believe one of the things you have to do if you're going to write a lot of fiction is to read a lot of fiction. You got to know what's out there. You have to understand and get a feel for cadence and rhythm and style and how you want to communicate and what you want to communicate. I'm a really big fan of the book, 13 Ways of Looking at the Novel. And in it, the author, Jane Smiley, is like very clear about like a novel can be all things to all people. Like, You know, you're not going to ever write a book that everybody in the world is going to be like, that's amazing. You know, you make decisions and sometimes readers don't agree with those decisions and they're not interested in your book and that's okay. But I think there's a lot of sensibilities that transfer back and forth between the two from fiction to nonfiction. And one of them is, is even though nonfiction is factual, I still think it can tell a story. And I still think all nonfiction, maybe not all, I'd there could be particular genres that maybe this doesn't apply to, but at least the stuff that I work on, I still try to have a story arc. I still try to have a flow, like a beginning, a middle and an end and conclude things for people and bring them along these mini journeys. So in the Great Mental Model series, we do that at the model level. So each model, you know, the chapter is designed to have a bit of a story arc to take you to, you know, the pros, the cons, the uses, the ideas. And so you feel like you've completed a bit of a journey when you finish that chapter. And that's something I think was very informed for me by my work in fiction. Yeah, no, for sure. And I'm thinking about too, as you're speaking, your experience working in intelligence and how that might have lent itself to this book as well. Do you think that played a big role in you being able to really write concretely about things that happen in that world? Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, I set the book in the 70s purposely because I didn't want to cloud any sort of like real life understanding I have in the intelligence world. So I said it like before the internet, before cell phones, but the rhythms of it and the relationships and the dynamics, they're very similar today (laughs) as they were, you know, 50 years ago. And I was super lucky because every time I came up against a roadblock, like there's a scene where the main character, Jillian, has to plant a bug on this Cuban guy. And I was originally going to put it, get her to put it like in his shoe because like I didn't know. (laughs) So I wander around the office and I asked a friend, 
friend who asked a friend, I was like, does anybody know anybody who knows anything about bugs? <laughs> and one guy's like, yeah, go ask this guy who works in the radio section. And I went to talk to him and he was like, ah, oh, sure, I'll talk to you. Wow. And and I told him my story and my plan. He's like, oh, you can't put it in the shoe. In the 70s, it would have been too big. You need to like maybe his car. And right. I was like, oh, okay. Like I'll put it in his car. And that's all he had to say. Like that's not classified information. But mm -hmm. just like having people who yeah. knew who actually had kind of lived some of this stuff and who knew it to a, a degree that I didn't. Same with getting insight into human intelligence agencies. So in Canada, that's CSIS. Then in the States, it's like uh, CIA or in the UK, it's MI6. I worked with them a little bit, but not much. So, you know, when I had some questions, I just, you know, wandered over and a friend of a friend's like, oh yeah, I know a guy who like worked for CSIS back in the 80s. He'll talk to you. <laughs> you know, I took him out for lunch and he was happy to just download, you know, like three decades worth of experience over a couple lunches. So I was super fortunate that I had people who were just like lovely and amazing and just being like, hell yeah, let's make this real and let's make this interesting. So one of the things I'm most proud of, it's very particular to me, but the people I know in that world who have read my book have been like, hey, Ree, you know, you did a decent job with this. You did a good job. You know, it's not like, wait a second, this isn't how it works. I mean, obviously things are modified for plot purposes and it's not an accurate literal representation, but mm -hmm. the spirit of it is still there, you know? And like, it's, it's so interesting. When I look at the articles on the blog, they're well-researched, they're well-done. And so I can see how that translates into your writing for fiction and how you interview different people. And I remember on an earlier episode of this podcast, my sister's writing a book and she's in an earlier episode. And I said to her, it takes a village to raise a book because that's how I felt even writing Holistic totally, Wealth. For it sure. really did. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like I think... I think I went through five different editors. Like it had so much expertise built in to it. You know, it was unbelievable. And, and even when I set out writing it, I didn't realize that it would quite develop that way. But it takes so mm -hmm. much to build up and to ensure that, as you mentioned, even having the rhythm and the pacing and the sequencing and all of that. So kudos to you. Like, I, I really love the work that you've done with the blog and, you know, the newsletter oh. and everything. Can you tell us what's next in terms of Farm Street's growth and the Mental Models book? For sure. Now, just I want to say the blog isn't all me. I do not want to take all the credit for it. I have, you know, we work as a team. There's another wonderful writer who writes a lot for Farnham Street, Rosie. And we, we edit each other's stuff and we push each other. And Shane is definitely there to write as well and keep us on track. And we're always working together to make sure we're not creating any blind spots. We're not missing anything obvious. And we're supporting each other and making sure that the end product is really good. And that's why we also don't put names on who writes our articles because they are an absolute team effort. And we're, we're really committed to that because to me, it's not about getting the credit for, hey, this article's great. It's like, hey, did our audience like this? Did they get something from it? And that's what is much more important to us. In terms of what's next for Farnham Street, well, COVID, you know, has kind of, it's changed things up a little, you know, some of the things we used to do, we used to do these in-person events. Well, clearly those aren't going to happen for the foreseeable future. But one of the things we're really diving into a lot because of the feedback we've gotten from our followers is we're really getting into courses and we're starting to kind of condense some of the wisdom and the insights, all the things that we've gathered over the years. So this year we launched Decision by Design, which is a decision-making course. Decision-making is something I think is like a core thing that people have followed us for for years. 
And Shane was like, let's make this happen. Let's take all this wisdom and distill it into this really useful course for people. We're just about to release a parenting course, which seems a little bit out of left field for us, except it's a parenting course based on (laughs) mental models. And that, so that brings me to the book. So we write this book series called The Great Mental Models, which, you know, some people are like, wow, that's the most boring title of all time. (laughs) But we really you know, it was really meant to be like a really solid reference guide for mental models. Like, how do you use them? What does it mean? What are they? Here's some ideas. If you put them on as a lens and you look out into the world, what might you see differently? And so that's informed a lot of the parenting course, because I know I use mental models almost every day with my children. (laughs) Like, you know, just relativity. What's their perspective? They're upset. Why are they upset? What's going on in their world? How can I look at things through their eyes? So we've done a lot on that. And then the other course we're going to be coming out with later in the year is a course on how to build your own mental models lattice work. So the books, the Great Mental Models series is not a how-to, it's a what and a why. So you read it to learn about models, to understand models, to get an idea of some of the models you can use and the ways that you can use them. Um, Our next volume in that series is on systems and mathematics, and it comes out in May, June. And I'm super excited to have that out in the world. It's like so fast. It's like, you know, you know, writing a book, it's almost like giving birth. Like you've got this child who's about to go into the world and it's really awesome. But then we're also coming out with a course to support the books. Awesome. So the course is more the, the how. Okay, you've you've hooked me. I I love these mental models. I'm really excited about them. Now what? And so the idea is that you take the course and you learn from the ground up, like how to build models for you, for your use. How do you build a lattice work? How do you use it? When do you want to use it? What results can you expect? How do you troubleshoot? I can't even tell you how excited I am about that course to come out because Mm -hmm. I feel that it's a little bit of a gap right now Mm -hmm. in our kind of products sweet, if if you will. And we've been putting some articles up over the course of the last year that are very practical how-tos, like how to use mental models in meetings, how to use mental models for career change. And this just kind of builds on that because mental models for me, these deliberately constructed mental models that we talk about at Farnham Street, I love them. I find them useful and I'm excited about them. And we all are as a team and we're so excited to bring that out there Yeah, and and just kind of help people take that next step with them. Yeah, I know everything sounds exciting and I have a ton of questions because I'm still back at the parenting (laughs) course and I I want to hear more about that because I'm a mom of three kids and we've all been kind of like homeschooling since it seems like forever. But, you know, maybe since March and yeah. you're coming out with yeah. that course and I, it sounded super interesting. So I just wanted to ask about that. And, you know, in terms of mental models and parenting, sure. yeah. Is there anything that you can tell us about the course and more about that for parents listening in? Yeah, for sure. So I think that as parents, like I don't, I mean, it's not like a universal experience, right? And that's the problem. We all have similar struggles, but our our situations are incredibly unique because it's we're unique. Our kids are unique. Our situations are unique. And what kind of led to the course is that, you know, I find that I'll have a struggle, I'll be stuck somewhere and I'll do some research or I'll read a parenting book. And some of them are amazing and they help me, but they help me for one kid in one situation. They don't help me for both of my kids in multiple situations. And sometimes I've tried one thing with my older son and it's worked amazing. And then I'm like, this is great. (laughs) And then I'll do it to my younger son. And it's just like a 
total. It's like we move right. backwards. And I was just like, okay, there's got to be a better way. So what happened simultaneously is that, you know, we were working on the Great Mental Model series. And so sometimes, like I, one of the things I believe about writing, and I'm sure this is true for a lot of people, is that your writing is better when it's authentic when it comes from a genuine place of reflection and understanding, you know, whatever that is, right? Before I would go on and say, hey, mental models are so great. Here's what they can do for you. I was like, well, let's, let's see if they can. Let's road test them. Well, the obvious road test for me was my children. So <laughs> I just, you know, I started practicing on my kids. And I, this was not like the parenting course wasn't even on the horizon. This was just about like me understanding mental models better so I could write about them better. But then I started to notice some things. Like I started to notice that some models really resonated with my kids. I also started to notice that some models really helped me and my husband look at situations differently and come up with different paths or different actions that were getting us very different results than we had been getting in the past. And so that's when um, we sat down as a team and, you know, said, okay, like, let's see if we can do this. And so we worked on it. You know, those of us who have kids, we all contributed our ideas, our experiences, and we tested it out. We refined it. It's not going to like solve everybody's problems. It's not going to solve all your problems. And it's not for people in really bad situations. I mean, we're not psychologists or anything like that. This is a very specific course. Like, you know, if you want to fine tune your parenting, if you're, if you find you're having some persistent conflicts that you don't have a way out of, we've got some tools that are really going to help. Yeah. I road tested dozens, but I, we, we came down to six specific models that are easy to understand and really easy for kids to understand. Mm -hmm. And that you can use as tools in your home That's right. to kind of see if you change up the dynamics, some of the things that maybe like, you know, we all have those little things, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I have a son who just like, he just will not get dressed in the morning. Like, <laughs> like every day needs to be pajama day. Right. <laughs> You're like you can't do that. Like, first of all, it's minus 20 outside in this country right. for three months of the year. Like <laughs> you, you're not going out in pajamas, <laughs> but how do we, how do we, change that up without him crying yes. and us getting upset and everybody feeling frustrated and bad, you know? So it's to address situations like that, where you're just kind of, you you know, things are mostly good. You're really trying hard as a parent, but you're just facing some situations that you just, you're out of ideas. Yeah, for sure. I, I feel that way most days. So <laughs> I, I can relate. And it's so true that it's so different with each child. And even, you know, the decision-making aspect of it that you brought up earlier, because I, like many parents, like I'm caught off guard so many times, just like on my feet, quick thinking, okay, decision time. And then you're <laughs> just, you're just dumped, yeah. you know? You know, you don't have all the answers. So what we're trying to do is give people a, a, a very concrete set of tools. When you, when you have those moments, you're like, oh my God, I have no idea what to do right now. You're like, wait a second, let me pull out this model and see what, what I can suss out and figure out a bit differently if I use it. So, but yeah, I'll, I'll definitely, I'll, I'll share the course with you when it's out for sure. Yeah, no, that would be great. And so any words of wisdom to course creators out there who, you know, might be thinking of launching a course, Mm -hmm. you know, they want to launch it successfully and, and, and are looking for just some quick tips 
on how to do that? Sure. I mean, I can only share what I've been doing and what our team has been doing is we're looking at what other people are doing. Like go, go find a course that you would buy or that you have bought and ask yourself, why did you buy that? Why did you give this person money? What attracted you about this course? And then look at their sales emails. How are they presenting it? What kind of information are they sharing? Look at their sales pages. Like, how are they hooking you? You know, like, how are they connecting with you? How is this material resonating to you? Like, I think you need to meet people where they are. And I think a lot of courses, successful courses, that's what they do. They say, let me paint a picture. And if this looks like your life, here's how I can help you. Right. I think that that's really important. And I mean, for me too, like I said, an authenticity is also important. Like we will not make promises that we can't deliver on, which is why we're super clear in the parenting course about how we're not child psychologists and how there are certain problems that we we're not going to wade into and we are not qualified to handle. And I think being really clear to your audience too, about what you're going to give them and what results they can expect from that is really powerful for people. Yeah, that's great advice. I want to talk a bit about your results on the personal financial identities quiz. And it's something that I've asked many guests to shed light on because it's part of my mission now in terms of building awareness of that. Because as you know, I mentioned it in my book, Holistic Wealth. And I just think for everyone, it's great to be aware of our tendencies. And so I don't know what your results were, but if you could share that with us. For sure. Well, just let me say first, like your message of holistic wealth really resonated, right? Because I get it. Like you, there's no point in going for massive wealth in one area and having a poverty in other areas, right? Mm -hmm. That like success really comes when you look at your entire life holistically. So I super get that. So when I took the financial quiz, I was really curious also to find out what my identity was. I have to say I wasn't surprised. So um, I think your quiz nailed it for me. So I was the risk taker. And that doesn't surprise me at all because I feel that a lot of decisions I make, not just financially, but career-wise, I'm all about calculated risk. So I'm not a risk taker as in I don't get like an adrenaline high. Like I, I, I'm not going to go bungee jumping. It's just not my thing. <laughs> but I do think that success in whatever field and whatever that means to you requires you to stretch yourself. It requires you to put yourself out there and put yourself in situations that are maybe uncomfortable or different or unique. I don't think success happens when you're not willing to take chances. And so that that's my whole life philosophy. And it's also my financial philosophy. <laughs> um, it, it, it's not willy-nilly risk. I'm not like, oh yeah, this like random mining investment looks great. Let's put 10 grand in that. Right. It's more like, okay, let's take some calculated risk here. Like, where is it I want to be? And what are some reasonable steps I can take to get there? And then where are maybe some areas where I can take a portion of my money or my time or my other resources and put them on a riskier venture? Because I think that the payout in terms of money or learning or, you know, experience is going to be worth it. I'm going to, I have a a chance of getting something really great from this because they don't all pay off, right? I mean, there's a lot of pages of writing in my trash bin, you know, like there's a lot of rejection letters from publishers, (laughs) you know, there's a lot (laughs) of things that didn't pay off and that the risks didn't result in success, but they always result in learning. 
how do you get better if you aren't willing to risk learning something new or trying something new? So exactly. Yeah. So it fit. It really fit. Okay. No, that's great to know. And just wise words there, because you're absolutely right. And even when we talk about decision-making, right? Like it helps to take those bold steps to sharpen those areas. And as you mentioned, that holistic wealth in terms of gaining these experiences and forging ahead in your life in a way that's intentional and in a way that really suits you authentically. Because, you know, I tend to think sometimes too that sometimes we strive for Mm -hmm. certain things and it's in direct contradiction to our values. But, you know, we do it because society says we should, you know, we should... Um, climb the corporate ladder or we should do something else. We should have this type of profession or we should Mm -hmm. live somewhere specific when really it's not what we want. Rhiannon, could you tell us where to find you in terms of the website, social media, where can the audience find? So um, I'm on Twitter now. I'm at Rebobien. That's R-H-I-B-E-A-U-B-I-E-N. And then Farnham Street, Farnham Street is at fs.blog. And that has like our articles, it has all the information about the book series, where you can get it, all the updates. And there are um, email addresses on the blog about how to contact us if you have questions or if you, you know, speaking engagements or all that kind of stuff. There's a a list of of email addresses there. And then for anybody who's more curious about me or uh, the fiction side of things, I also have a website, which is rianandbobian.com. Okay, great. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. It was so fun um, chatting with you. And I'm sure that lots of words of wisdom that the audience I'm sure has picked up. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Keisha. It's been really great. Thank you for joining us this week on Holistic Wealth with Keisha Blair. Make sure to visit our website, KeishaBlair.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS, so you will never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Are you a member of the Institute on Holistic Wealth? If not... What are you waiting for? Go to Institute on Holistic Wealth slash memberships to choose your membership plan and join. As a member, you get so many perks, free worksheets, advice, coaching, and a member's workshop to design an intentionally designed life. You need to figure out your life purpose? Take the Build Your Life Purpose Portfolio online self-paced course. You're struggling with all your money decisions? Take the free financial identities quiz and then take the course. You recently had a breakup, job loss, or experienced the death of a loved one? Take the holistic healing course. You need an overall plan to achieve holistic wealth? We will help you figure out your holistic wealth blueprint. And of course, if you want to start making money by helping others achieve holistic wealth, become a certified holistic wealth consultant. Regardless of what career you've got, the Institute will show you how to increase your income and walk in your purpose. The sooner you join, the sooner you start to achieve a more holistically wealthy lifestyle. And you're going to want to stay for a very long time. So go to Institute on Holistic Wealth slash memberships to join. If you haven't read the book yet, pick up a copy of the award-winning best-selling Holistic Wealth 32 Life Lessons to Help You Find Purpose, Prosperity, and Happiness. 